I need to ask the commission to please select a chair for this meeting amongst yourselves. And once we get that sorted, we do have a little uh, show notes agenda script for whoever the lucky, the lucky temporary chair is. So I'm gonna let you all sort that out. Just all in favor? Great, okay. Congratulations, Commissioner Lightfoot. So at this time, Commissioner Lightfoot's gonna move into the chair computer and Corey's gonna move a couple buttons around and then we're gonna resume the meeting under his leadership. Thank you all. Commissioners, please sign in. Thank you. So uh, we'll move on now to item number three, communications. Um, at this time, I'll ask if staff, if there are any communications or announcements for this evening's meeting. Uh, thank you, Chair Lightfoot. Uh, there are not. And now we'll move on to item number four, approval of the agenda. Um, do I have a motion and a second to approve the agenda? Motion. Second. A motion from Chair Fortney and a second from Commissioner Wilkerson. Wilkerson. Commissioner Fortney? Yes. Commissioner Vargas? Yes. Commissioner Light, excuse me, Chair Lightfoot? Yes. Commissioner Bonta? Motion passes. Thank you very much. Next, we'll move on to item number five, uh, business from the floor. Uh, this portion of the agenda is available uh, for the public to address the planning commission on any issue that is not on the agenda. There will be a limit of three minutes per speaker. I uh, welcome anyone who wishes to address the commission regarding a topic or issue that is not on the agenda this evening to please approach the podium. Seeing none, I'll close uh, business from the floor. So we'll move on to item number six, it's the consent calendar. Um, we have one item on the consent calendar which is the minutes from January 16th meeting, um, 2024. Does anyone from the commission or the public wish to pull the consent item for discussion? Nope. Seeing none, do I have a motion? You have a motion? Also. I have a motion from Commissioner Fortney and a second from Commissioner Vargas. Commissioner Wilkerson? 
Commissioner Fortney? Commissioner Vargas? Yes. Commissioner Bantip? Yes. Chair Lightfoot? Yes. Motion passes. Now we'll move on to item number seven, the public hearing. Um, item eight, 7A is the California Senate Bill 35 study session. Um, we'll first hear a presentation by staff followed by commissioner questions, and then we'll open it up to public comment. Um, may we please have the staff's presentation? Hello, good evening, Chair, members of the Planning Commission. My name is Eileen Lee, and this evening I will be presenting a study session on housing element 11C. So this request this evening is to receive a presentation on amending the city's development review process to, one, implement state law's streamlined review process for eligible multifamily affordable housing projects under SB 35, and two, publish SB 35 information on the city's website. To provide some background information, in 2018, Senate Bill 35 was adopted to require cities to provide a ministerial process for specific affordable housing developments. And in June of 2023, the City Council recognized and adopted housing element HE11C, which requires the city to implement a program to streamline this approval, and which brought forth new housing element program 11C, which is to implement a program to streamline this these approvals of affordable multifamily housing projects to meet state's laws eligibility criteria and dedicate at least 50% of proposed units for affordable housing. So what is Housing Element Program 11C? It is a state-mandated streamlined review process based on Senate Bill or SB 35, which requires cities to ministerially approve eligible housing products. The goal of Housing 11C is to encourage multifamily residential development, expedite the review and approval of affordable housing projects that qualify, and establish procedures and provide guidance to individuals seeking streamlined review. Please note that under ministerial process, SB 35 pro projects are not subject to environmental review, discretionary planning review, or public hearings in which planning commission or city council acts as a decision maker. Um, please note that this allows um, ministerial review by a public body. However, this is based on solely of objective standards of our city, such as in specific plans or in our municipal code or state criteria. So why is housing element 11C important? In Vacaville, nearly 30% of the city's population is considered within the low and very low income brackets based on area median income or AMI in Solano County. In addition, in Vacaville, 74% of low and very low income households are overpaying for rent. Statistics identify that there's an overall shortage of affordable housing for residents Therefore, the city must meet the needs of households with varying income levels. So some criteria for eligibility to qualify for streamline approval products, projects, excuse me, must meet all 10 state required criteria. For example, the project must consist of a multifamily housing development that contains at least two new residential units 
or consists of a mixed-use development that contains at least two-thirds of the floor area dedicated to residential units. Some other criteria mandated by the state is that at least half of the units must be affordable to low and very low incomes in Vacaville, and at least 75% of the project must be um, adjacent to in, uh, infill or developed urban uses, such as freeways, um, commercial development, or residential units that are existing there already. In addition, the site must be zoned or planned for some form of residential use, and the project must be consistent with our city's objective standards, and the site must not be located on agricultural lands, wetlands, or fire hazard areas. Under SB 35, concessions and exceptions to development standards may be requested. Under state law, applicants can request these concessions, waivers, or exceptions with an SB 35 application through the state's density bonus law. The number of concessions and waivers are based on the number of affordable units proposed for a project. For example, the more affordable units proposed for a project, the more concessions that may be granted. And if an applicant is requesting a concession or exception to development standards, they must attach the state density bonus application with the specific requests at the time of SB 35 pre-application submittal. So to provide a process in the overall timeframe for approval under SB 35, it all begins with a notice of intent, otherwise known as an NOI. So an applicant must request a notice of an intent for SB 35, and it must be submitted prior to the actual formal application. Within the first 90 days of receiving an NOI, planning staff must conduct an, and conclude tribal consultation with regionally affiliated tribes. Once this is concluded, after that 90-day period, an applicant may submit a formal application. In receiving a formal application, depending on the number of units, if the project proposes less than 150 units by day 60, planning staff must provide the applicant a letter determining whether or not the project is consistent with the requirements of SB 35 and determine project eligibility. For units um, proposed over 150, the deadline is day 90. And if the project is deemed ineligible under SB 35, staff must provide um, information on why the project conflicts with SB 35 criteria or provide their request on additional information necessary to make that determination. To continue, after a project has been deemed consistent with SB 35 criteria, an approval must be issued in a strict timeline. For example, for units with 150 or less, 90 days after the letter is sent is when the approval letter needs to be provided to the applicant. For projects consisting of over 150 units, the timeline is 180 days for project approval. Please note, if the city does not meet these required timelines as mandated by state law, then the project is automatically approved under state law. Staff conducted research on SB 35 through reaching out to other jurisdictions such as the city of San Leandro and also conducted other research with resources such as HCD and SCAG. 
Through our research, it became evident that the implementation of SB 35 is important because it includes benefits such as encouraging development of affordable housing for low and very low income households in our city, supports infill development, and requires cities to approve qualifying projects within a state-mandated timeline. However, there were some challenges brought to our attention, such as the required timeframe of streamlined review, community awareness, and the checklist format. Staff has put together several resources to help individuals seeking streamlined review under SB 35. For example, we've prepared a description on the city's website and have created development review process for streamlining under SB 35, such as a pre-application form, a development application, SB 35 criteria checklist, and a objective standards checklist based on our city's code and specific plans. Upcoming sessions for consideration related to um, state law include streamlined approval processes and procedures for Senate Bill 9 and Senate Bill 330. To conclude the presentation, the purpose of Housing Element 11C is to encourage the development of affordable housing by implementing a streamlined ministerial process to achieve affordable housing. In addition, staff has created a number of um, items that can help residents or applicants and developers to start this streamlined process for SB 35 and to satisfy the housing element program. This concludes the presentation. Please let me know if you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, open it up to commissioner comments. Thank you for your presentation. Um, I just had a couple questions about how many projects do we currently have that have utilized S that are utilizing SB 35? Good evening. Thank you, Commissioner Banta. Um, to confirm, as of right now, we have not received any formal applications under SB 35. So since it's the beginning of this ever, we've never utilized it? Um, to confirm, um, under state law, a process is required by cities to implement. And so currently we are implementing that process, but to confirm, we have not received any, any interest um, or applications. Right. And then how many parcels of land would qualify? Do we know how many parcels of land roughly in the city of Eckville? Because it said there had to be 75% occupied. Do we know like roughly how many parcels would be able to be used? Or no? We don't know that. No. no. Okay. And then how many developers, because I know we, you guys have projects, do we currently have any developers that we're in communication with that are interested in utilizing SP35? No, not any specific ones, but sort of um, dealing with housing implementation efforts that we have, we're reaching out to about 150 people that consists of for-profit and non-profit uh, development organizations. So. We're reaching out to a lot of people for a number of uh, meetings that we're having, both on um, housing element implementation, but also uh, changes to our land use development code to implement um, certain housing element programs. So we're reaching out to a lot of people, but we haven't had any direct conversations about anybody with, uh, with that spe you know, specific type of project. Thank you. We're trying. So. <laughs> and then one last question. You said that there was some research that you had done with other jurisdictions and what their benefits and challenges are. Did they have any advice or on... Um, 
as to how they're getting more developers to utilize SB 35 versus what we're not doing? Hi, Commissioner Banta. Um, that is a great question. I think one of the greatest pieces of advice I got from other cities to de is to develop the, the more personal city checklist um, because there is a state um, checklist for um, SB 35. However, by providing supplemental materials like the objective standards checklist, um, we're hoping that it'll definitely help people who are interested in pursuing SB 35. But otherwise, um, we haven't. All right, and you guys are doing that already. So thank you. That was all the comments for me. Thank you, Commissioner Banta. Um, I'll now open up to a public comment. One second. Let me, one second here. Oh, one second, sir. I need to get back to, turn on your mic. Oh, there you go. All right. Thank okay. you. Uh, these are infill projects, as you said, right? And um, what about open space? Does that affect open space? It's set aside as assessed areas where you're paying an assessment? It wouldn't include those, I wouldn't think. You know, old rocky places like that are open space that are set aside. I don't think they could build uh, low-income housing on those areas. Those were set aside as assessed areas by the city. So it would not include those, I would imagine, right? If you go ahead and finish uh, all your questions, we'll have uh, staff respond. Okay. And one more thing. Um, what about granny flats and areas like that? I know that uh, Seattle, uh, they're trying to entice more people to live within the city, and they give tax breaks and things to people to build granny flats in their backyard to get people housing. So that, you know, I don't know if SB 35, I don't think it covers that, but that would be a good thing to, to go with. That would help a lot, you know. So anyway, those are just questions I have. Um, and what density would those be? That's the other thing. If you're going to build the low-income housing, how close together are they going to be? Because some of this housing that they put up, like on Orchard Avenue, I mean, those things are moderate density is like from here to that table. It's unbelievable. That's moderate. I don't know what low or high density is, you know. So that was the other question I had. So, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are there any other uh, public comments? There you go. Hello, uh, my name is Brent Johnson. I'm a current uh, planning student with the University of Florida. I just had a couple of questions for, um, in regards to the SB 35. The two questions I have are, one of the challenges was community, getting community involvement and engagement. And I'm wondering how uh, they plan to address that, whether if they're gonna open up to forums like this, where it can be quite challenging for certain um, citizens to come to this type of meeting with regards to schedules and anything like that. And then the second question I had was, um, let me look, sorry. Are there any benefits or what benefits are being provided to those developers to bring them in? Thank you very much. 
do we have any other uh, public comments? Seeing none, I will close public comment and uh, bring it back to the commission for further discussion and review. And we'll also uh, review some of the public comments with the uh, staff. Anybody have anything you'd like to add? Um, first, thank you so much for the presentation. Great job. Um, if we could answer those second questions, that would be great. And then, ministerial, right? This means there's no, it's just over the counter, everything's done. They don't have need to have any um, public meetings or anything like that, correct? To confirm, um, a discretionary review can't be done. Um, instead, there can be a public hearing just based on objective standards and the criteria. Um, that's what can be done at a public hearing. And then that would be done to the Planning Commission, City Council, or both? It is um, based on request. Um, it is brought to the director, and then um, from there on, it could be brought to Planning Commission or City Council at their request. Thank you so much. Yeah, how do you determine that? Let me go with this. Force makes that determination. Sorry. I'm going to ask um, our assistant planner to answer the questions. I think this is research. Or a senior planner, you know. <clears throat> um, usually the, the determination of whether or not it needs to go before the planning commission is if it's an item that involves um, significant public policy. But for the most part, the intent behind this bill is to save time. That's the biggest uh, impact for developers is time that it takes to process a development application. And the whole point behind it is if there are objective standards that clearly say you shall do this and that, they follow all of those standards, it's an affordable housing project, it helps the city meet the renew numbers, then you're supposed to reward that kind of good uh, type of development with <clears throat> a faster process. Um, and so that, that's really what the intent behind it is. Um, it'd be unusual for uh, that type of project to go before a public hearing, but that's more of, you know, in case of unique scenarios, there is that option also. Thank you. Um, so one of the public comments were about precluded areas is open space um, designations or any historic sites like um, precluded from SB 35 in any way. Hello, to confirm um, public comment number one, um, open space would not be permitted as an infill development site um, that would be allowed under SB 35. Um, to confirm, it has to be 75% surrounded by infill um, urban uses, for example, transit centers, um, residential housing, commercial plazas, um, or even freeways, abutting a freeway or a street. Thank you very much. Um, and. Uh, how, is there a way or a method that we have in our checklist that could uh, improve community engagement or a step that we can, because um, I do see the problem with a fast track approval um, and not letting the public view it, but is there anything that we're doing to improve that step? Um, I just want to confirm that we are working towards a process to possibly notify um, residents. However, I do want to confirm that um, in no way that a public hearing can um, chill or preclude um, the approval for streamlined um, 
under SB 35. Um, and if the timeline or the time frame exceeds, then the project is automatically approved. So just please um, keep that in mind. Um, otherwise, um, there will be some type of process we can implement on maybe notifying the city. To confirm on some of the other information, uh, we are going to be posting this information on the city's website so that it is available. We do have a new page on our site for new programs. And so some of the previous stuff that the commission's heard about, community gardens, mural arts and programs, that's another area where we're going to be posting it. So the intent is to get the word out. And the more people that understand uh, this is what's being made available, the better off it is. Uh, so there's that. There's also going to be information and forms that are going to be available at our planning counter. So that way, uh, people who are coming in, if they do have questions or if they are proposing an affordable housing project, we can guide them over to these options that are over here. Um, and then the rest is just training staff. So that way, if one of these circumstances does come up, we we are familiar with it. And we can help the city stay in compliance with state law to get these things moving along the process. So that's just a few ways of how we're trying to engage a community. Any other comments? Did, were we able Did to we answer all the questions for? Sorry. Yeah, were we able I've got to a answer? few. Okay, the last question, Ian. Uh, on the question about zoning, uh, so uh, our planning technician, Eileen Lee, she did mention about how um, there are unique circumstances, can't be located on wetlands, can't be located on specific habitat, fire hazard areas. The property also has to be zoned for it. So zoning that can accommodate this is, you're talking about residential housing. So if you're looking at open space areas, those areas are not designed to accommodate residential housing. Uh, granny flats are not quite the same thing. Uh, our, our planning technician noted that it's two units or more. So granny flats, single units, those are likely to be covered under accessory dwelling units by state law. Uh, and there's a ton of other provisions that allow them to go through very fast process for that. Uh, tax breaks offered with this now. No, it's just you know make that time a lot faster for the development community. Uh, the question of what density would they be subject to? Our general plan. So if it's a residential high density, you're looking at 20.1 to 30 units per acre. But of course, if they're proposing affordable housing, they're allowed to have density bonuses and they could propose something that's a lot higher than that. Um, there's all the other things that are important about that site design, parking requirements. Those are the other objective standards that would play into other constraints. Uh, comment number two, how we're getting into community engagement. Uh, we touched on that briefly. And then what benefits are given to developers to bring them in? Benefits are ministerial review process, where we're not going through this long process and it's intended. And Eileen uh, mentioned about 60 days if you're less than 150 units, 90 days if you're more than 150 units. Rather, fast process is the reward for these types of uh, development projects. So, um, I believe that'll end our um, discussion about 7A, and we'll move on to item uh, 7B, which is um, <clears throat> the 2023 General Plan Annual Progress Report. We'll be presenting the uh, the presentation this evening.
Hello, uh, I'm Assistant Planner Edward Lincoln, um, here to present to you uh, the 2023 General Plan Annual Progress Report presentation. Um, the General Plan Progress Report includes annual reporting of policies and programs for the General Plan, the housing element, and also including progress toward meeting the regional housing needs allocation. Um, this annual progress report has a deadline that it needs to be submitted by April 1st to the Office of Planning and Research and the Department of Housing and Community Development. Here, we're um, highlighting the distribution of housing for Solano County for Arena 6, which is for 2023 through 2031. As you can see, Vacaville is responsible for 2,595 units. Um, Solano County as a whole is responsible for 10,992 units. For the year of 2023, Vacaville issued 473 residential permits. 213 of those were for single family units, 10 for a single family with ADUs, 236 multifamily units and 14 accessory dwelling units. The arena breakdown um, for the different income uh, groups, you see we have 473 uh, for the moderate, or I'm sorry, above moderate income category, um, which takes our overall total from 259, 2,595 units to 2,122 units. One of our Major highlights for the general plan implementation from 2023 includes the adopted sick cycle for the housing element, the safety element, and the environmental justice element. Uh, some of the completed amendments over 2023 include HE9, which uh, covers non-vacant sites from the fifth cycle and the right to provide it, the right uh, development by right and uh, HE15, which includes amendments to land use and development code to ensure the consistency with state law and local ordinances related to housing issues. HE18 and 18B um, cover site inventory rezone program, which uh, increases the maximum, maximum density, density from uh, in, a resident, in a residential high density zone from 24 to 30 units, um, zoning district citywide. And uh, also, we have uh, a general plan designation change for 719 Markham Avenue from residential high to public parks. Uh, to continue uh, general plan amendments completed, uh, we have HE17G1 and 17G2, which amends the general plan land use element policies LU-P11.4 and LU-12.3, and also uh, creating a new policy, LU-P19.7, which reduced uh, industrial and residential buffers. Uh, some notable pending general plan amendments uh, include uh, Millennium Center, uh, the fields at Alamo Creek, North Park Village, North Village Area Plan 2, uh, Park Parish, and east of Leisure Town uh, growth area. Some of our 
highly recommended priorities for 2024 include in inclusionary housing, uh, the Allison priority development specific plan. Um, and additional potential priorities also include the east of Leisure Town road growth area specific plan and the northeast growth area specific plan. Completed housing element uh, implementation plans. Uh, we have the universal design brochure. Uh, we have affordable housing uh, with a focus on military uh, housing at 5763 Vanden Road. Um, and as I stated earlier, we have the housing sites included uh, from previous housing cycles. Um, also planning regulation amendments and uh, site inventory rezone program. And also we have uh, HE5, which has a staff working with developers to identify suitable sites and funding sources for affordable housing. Some pending uh, housing element implementation uh, includes an ADU ordinance, <clears throat> a variety of different housing types, uh, density bonus ordinance, um, density bonus uh, objective findings, and ADUs and JADUs. Some of our completed downtown specific plan implementation includes the JAPA or JAPA parking system, uh, which includes sensor monitoring, monitoring for city-owned parking spaces uh, in downtown, downtown uh, area that became operational. Um, also, we had a downtown business walk in which the city staff uh, surveyed the downtown business area, uh, met with uh, business owners and inquired uh, how they were doing and how the city could help. Uh, also, we have uh, telecommunication improvements um, in which the city is currently working through phase two of the broadband master plan, which includes the design of the backbone fiber communication lines along the city's major corridors and arterials, as well as planning for connections to city facilities and broadband underserved areas of the city. Some of the planned improvements for the downtown specific plan include Andrews Park, elevated sewer crossing replacement, and the creek walk bank repairs. Um, also small business assistance, active storefront uh, incentives, and multiple water system improvements to support citywide growth and addressing existing needs. Previously, we had uh, some study sessions with the Planning Commission. Uh, we had a universal design study session, which requires the city to encourage all new units to be universally designed so that they're accessible for both occupants and visitors and are easily adaptable to accessibility modifications. We also had uh, study sessions on quality of life, which includes uh, the commission receiving presentations to amend the city's development review process and publish information on the city's website uh, regarding murals on private properties improving indoor air quality, and establishing community gardens on private property. Also, we reviewed maps of impacted communities in Vacaville, and uh, we're looking forward to the next steps for implementing the general plan's community health goals, policies, and actions. The Energy and Conservation Action Plan implementation uh, had 10 electric buses delivered to the courtyard with the integration of the city coach route plan for spring of 2024. 
And also, we accepted a $1.2 million grant from the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, and staff has issued a RFP request for uh, proposal in January to prepare for a specific plan for the Allison Priority Development Area. In conclusion, uh, the city has taken significant steps to implement the newly adopted housing element and invest in improving downtown infrastructure. Um, our next steps include a presentation for the city council, and we also hope to submit the 2023 general plan annual progress report to the state housing and community development department, as well as the office of planning and research. Happy to answer any questions or any comments you may have. Thank you, Mr. Lincoln. Um, start with uh, Commissioner Wilkerson. Thank you. Great presentation. Thank you so much. A couple of questions. Um, the broadband improvement, um, phase two, what, what does that consist of currently? Where are we at in that process? That's something I'll have to do a little bit more research on you for. Um, I just... I see it's in the major uh, arteries, but how, yeah. what does that exactly look like in terms of where, where that goes and how many phases to that are there? Um, number one. Number two, I see that we got 10 new electrical buses that come in. Um, what are we going to do with the old buses? So just, just a question of, you know, highest and best use of those old buses. Are there other entities out there that could potentially use those? Um, and lastly, on the last housing element that we just finished, and even on this one, we're capturing information and data on income. But can you tell me of the last housing element, how many of the arena numbers were for rent and were for, uh, for sale? Is that, is, that something, is that information we have readily available? Readily available, looking at the data from the last housing element, for example, when it has to do with multifamily units, um, those are typically rentals in Vacaville. I don't think we've constructed any for sale multifamily, at least over the last arena cycle. But as far as the single family um, building permits issued, it's totally not obvious whether it would be um, for rent um, to somebody or whether it's built for rent, which is another housing model we all explored last year. Uh, it'd be harder to know that. Is there a way to capture that information? Yes, at a fixed point in time, because we can ask our customers, but but tracking it beyond that, whatever that fixed point in time was at time of occupancy or at time of final, it'd be difficult after that. Okay, and then moving forward, is there a way to be able to say, as they come in, hey, this one was for rent or this one was for purchase, and to be able to have that data for eight years from now? We, we can keep track of projects that are built as rentals to the extent that they're just like clearly unsubdivided multifamily units on one property, that's easy. It just it's it's harder to do the other stuff you're asking about because it okay. just gets granular and more invasive with our customers. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much. That's it for now. Commissioner Courtney. Good. No questions. Burgess. I'm good. Thank you. Commissioner Bonta. I have a couple questions. Um, one was it said that HE5C was completed. What was the outcome of working with developers to identify sites and funding sources for affordable housing? So we've, um, as I mentioned earlier, we're um, starting the process for reaching out to the development community for that. 
Um, the, I think specifics of that uh, housing program, if I understood, if I noticed which one that is, it's the military housing site. We were required to send out an RFP uh, for development of that site, and that's that has happened. I was actually on the interview panel um, last week uh, to interview a developer for that site. Um, it went well, so we're hopeful that that could be something that um, that's going to be a, an application, hopefully in the near future. But um, it'll be up to a housing agency to to sort of select the right uh, developer for that. And then my second question is kind of piggybacking a little bit off of Commissioner Wilkerson and about the income and the arena numbers, and it's saying that we're building a lot of arena, our building permits are being pulled for above moderate, right? But there's not a lot for the lower income, but does that necessarily correlate to the amount of housing that's available for lower income? Because there could be rentals that are available for lower income, correct? But that wouldn't be captured in what we're building. Correct, um, Commissioner Banta. The only thing that's captured in the data, um, and I don't know if, if Mr. Lincoln can put that table back up, but we can capture at the time that a building permit is issued, um, whether or not it's a deed restricted affordable unit and then at what level it's deed restricted to. But if it's not a deed restricted affordable unit, it's not considered affordable housing because there's housing that's affordable by design or affordable based on its condition or location. Uh, but we only get to count deed restricted affordable units as um, things that satisfy the arena. Okay. And then I guess my other question, I kind of asked it earlier a little bit too, but like what are other jurisdictions doing that are hitting some of these lower arena number points that we're not doing? I'll be happy to answer that question too, Commissioner Banta. A lot of it has to do with money. Um, most cities that are successful at producing deed-restricted affordable housing are um, subsidizing that housing with, with funds. So one of the things the city of Vacaville is doing, and it is another one of our housing element programs, is um, exploring um, inclusionary housing, which could provide either on-site units mixed in with new development that's market rate, or could provide an in-lieu fee for projects that are not gonna provide an on-site that could then be used to fund affordable housing. But under our current model, the, really the only money the city spends or the only value the city adds besides any processing um, things we can do is whenever we have a site that we own and we can enter into an agreement with that affordable housing developer and the value of our land is what we have to offer. Thank you. Um, I'll now open it up to uh, public comment. If there's any member of the audience that would like to address item 7B. Seeing none, I'll close public comment. And I'll bring this uh, back to the commissioners for any further questions. I do have one question. Yes, mm -hmm. Commissioner Fortney. Director Morris, our staff. Um, Commissioner Banta went to, um, in our last housing cycle, we obviously had our read in numbers. Do we have a percentage of those actual units that were completed or that were permitted in the low and very low ballpark? We don't have that readily available. Um, but it was in the previous slide deck last year because <laughs> we were able to show all of the eight years of um, housing production. Okay, great. Thanks. Any other comments? Uh, seeing none, uh, item 7B is informational with um, no action from us, but we thank you for your presentations this evening. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you. And we'll uh, move on to item 8, the uh, director's report. 
uh, Chair Lightfoot, and yeah, um, my team is going to fire up that PowerPoint presentation for me in a moment here as they change out some staff. Launching shortly. Okay, so we'll start off with some city council updates. Um, it feels like it was a long time ago, but actually it was last Tuesday. Uh, the city council approved the Millennium Center general plan amendment and initiated, um, introduced the ordinance for the associated rezoning. And the council also considered and unanimously initiated the Eubanks Court general plan amendment. Uh, these are properties that were established as office in the 2015 general plan, and they are a lot of industrial properties that have a lot of really viable industrial uses. So staff will be working on that and bringing that back to planning commission and council for formal action. Coming up at city council a week from today, uh, the city council will be appointing some commissioners to either continue or, or start. So I'm very um, excited about Tuesday to find out more about who will be on the commission going forward. So let's continue. Um, we don't have dates per se on these items, although we have some dates, but essentially you can expect in the next couple meetings to receive a digital freeway billboard study session. Uh, this information only to help get the commission thinking about the city's new digital billboards ordinance and what it's gonna allow or it could allow. Um, we'll also be bringing the commission a public hearing and study session on the fields at Alamo Creek draft supplemental environmental impact report. Um, you will get the copy of the EIR ahead of time, have a chance to look at it and it really provides the public with a chance to come and speak and offer any comments they want to on the EIR in addition to the written ones they can provide. And then we'll also be bringing you the 2024 Land Use and Development Code update. These are these incremental annual updates. We're trying to tune up the code that was adopted after 30 years, <laughs> update after 30 years. And so we'll be bringing a bunch of housing element stuff that we, we have to do, as well as some other stuff that either the council's asked us to do or that we think needs to be done. Um, so expect that. It'll be a dense item um, soon. Albert's been working very hard. I see him smiling over there. Um, so I'll move over to the planning, the building division monthly report. I'll cover that before I turn it over to the planning team. Uh, last, so in January, we issued 255 building permits. That was up 50 from December. Uh, still not a very high number, but again, trending positive at least this month. There were less single family permits issued and finaled during the month of January, no multifamily permits, no ADU permits. We did issue 63 solar permits and our total fees collected were around $750,000. These are the impact fees. And that was down about 133,000 from the previous month. So this is always gonna go up and down, but we like to show you these, these trend, this trend data. Um, we are up on inspections again, having completed 928 in the month of January. So it's been still been busy with our small inspection team. We'll go to the next slide. This shows building permits issued to date, starting off in um, February of last year on the left and then to January of this year on the right. So it's a little lower than it was um, last year and it's, or it's starting off a little lower, um, but we have a lot of permits currently in review right now in the building division. So particularly on the residential side, um, I expect to see some activity, um, particularly around the end of March, early April, as Lower Lagoon Valley is starting to rise. Let's keep going. And then this shows our inspections. Um, it's funny, again, February of 23 is on the left, January of 24 is on the right. Uh, we're still right around 1,000 a month with that spike in August of 23, where 1,500 inspections were conducted in a single month um, by this my small team. 
Okay, let's keep going. And then this shows the relationship of our solar permitting relative to the other kinds of building permits with a building permit shown in blue, solar permit shown in gold, and they continue to trend uh, together. At this point, I will turn over the presentation to Raymond and Albert. Good evening, uh, Chair and Commission. So in terms of current, uh, current planning activities for District 1, uh, we had one project that was approved for a perimeter fence for vacant lot on Cotting Lane. Uh, building permits, just miscellaneous residential, um, solar, and other improvements for uh, residential properties. Um, District 2, um, uh, really the only activities were building permits. Uh, District 3, we received a time extension for the Allison Apartments. So this is the one that was approved a couple of years ago, 135 units. Um, affordable units uh, project, and they're in for a time extension of their approval for a two-year period. Uh, we approved the, I don't know why this name makes me laugh, but it's <laughs> Happy Home Montessori Preschool was also approved at uh, 235 Arrowhead Drive, um, and then um, miscellaneous residential commercial permits as well. Uh, same thing with District 4 in terms of um, building permit activity. Uh, District 5, uh, we received um, a new application for Lower Lagoon Valley uh, Master Sign Program. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's looking good. We're working on it. Um, but uh, it's a pretty, um, pretty big project, uh, identifying all the different types of signage for the Lower Lagoon Valley project. Uh, in terms of building permits, uh, house plans for Montessa and neighborhood A of Lower Lagoon Valley, which is a Lennar project. And then other miscellaneous residential commercial permits as well. And the same thing uh, for District 6. Uh, plot plans for Southtown subdivision and commercial uh, improvements. So in terms of advanced planning, um, we're continuing to work on implementation of the housing elements. Um, we'll have some more uh, programs coming to you uh, next couple of months, um, next few months. Um, in terms of uh, the mention, I mentioned the meetings that we've had with development community. Uh, we had one uh, meeting at the end of January. Uh, the next one is going to be sort of a, a Solano County-focused uh, uh, meeting with the development community. And then there will be two more in 2024 um, to round out four meetings uh, in the year. Uh, the uh, annual Lenny's Development Code update is coming your way as well, and that will include um, just general uh, upkeep and cleanup of the code, but also uh, some very specific housing element require changes to our code as well. And, Albert's working on that. That will be going to the Airport Land Use Commission, then Planning Commission, then Council. Uh, we're also going to, um, we actually will be sending a um, notification this week regarding uh, community outreach for those Land Use Development Code changes. Um, right now we're looking at uh, March 6th. There'll be two meetings, um, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, both via Zoom, uh, to just get any input that um, the community and stakeholders have so that uh, 150 uh, long lists of developers will be notified again to go uh, to uh, to take part in any sort of out outreach efforts um, or out input that they'd want to uh, take part in. Uh, Allison Priority Development Area, Specific Plan Inclusionary Housing, these were RFPs that were issued in January. Um, Allison, the deadline, I believe, is March 7th, and inclusionary housing is today, I think. Um, so looking forward to that. And then uh, Growth Area Planning, which is a pretty... Uh, <laughs> heavy lift uh, that the director's taken on. Uh, we have community meetings scheduled for February and March for those um, growth areas as well. So those are the planning activities. And I have a few more announcements. So um, March 19th will be the last session of this commission with the plus two that are absent this evening. 
And then the um, appointed commissioners will be, the, the new or reappointed will be sworn in on April 16th. And then on May 21st, um, the commission will hold an election of the chair and vice chair as happens annually. And then a few staffing updates. I am absolutely delighted that um, Vacaville's new assistant director of community development is on board. Uh, her name is Kristen Pollitt. If you didn't meet her before the meeting commission, I welcome you to meet her after the meeting. She's there in the audience. Uh, and she comes to us with a lot of experience, uh, mostly with the city of Pittsburgh, some home builder experience and some consulting experience. So we have her back in public service here in Vacaville. Um, and I think that we can expect great things. Um, and not to, not to in any way lower, um, we have hired a permit technician. So finally our building counter is fully staffed and we were able to hire um, Marcus, whose last name is not coming to me. He's a, a Navy veteran um, and he is just adapting very seamlessly to our front counter and is now part of the face of um, when you come in to visit us, you'll see him sitting to Debbie's, Debbie's right or left. Um, and then two more staffing updates. We have an offer out and accepted and we have two individuals starting. Um, uh, we will have our new senior planner for long range planning starting on at the beginning of March and our full-time plan check engineer will be starting on March 18th. Um, so these are two very important positions for, the, for each of the divisions that they will be part of. Um, and we just couldn't be more excited to get these positions filled. So when that's done, we'll have one vacant position unless anyone tries to go, but I've locked the doors. They're not going anywhere, I hope. Um, <laughs> we'll have one vacant position, which we'll be recruiting for in the near time. So very positive things happening right now in my department. It looks like one, one of you has a question. Thank you, Dirk Morris. Um, Commissioner Bocas. Commercial real estate. Have we had any developers reach out and even start a conversation regarding potentially of converting their vacant space um, to condo or apartment? Have any of those conversations happened in the last six months? Yeah, actually, thank you for that question, Commissioner Wilkerson. We've met with two different two representatives from two different property owners who have talked about converting upper floor space in downtown Vacaville from either storage or office um, to um, apartments. But not on like the grand scale of throughout the city, just really specifically downtown, probably with the downtown specific plan, but nothing spread out throughout the city yet? I'm not aware of any inquiries for a conversion of commercial elsewhere in the city outside of downtown. Okay, I, I just, just <laughs> no, commercial's not having the best day right now. Um, and so I've just, in other cities, I'm seeing it happen. I know Pinole did a uh, conversion and other cities have done it. I'm just curious if any of any of that has made its way to Vacaville yet. So thank you. That concludes my presentation, unless there's another slide. Oh, there we are. Okay, that was my presentation. Thank you, Director Morris. Um, so we will now move on to um, item number nine, commissioner comments. Um, I'll start with Commissioner Wilkerson. Uh, thank you, Chair, great job tonight. Um, I went to the uh, BMX bike uh, park meeting that was held at um, the, the uh, McBride Senior Center, and it it was a fantastic meeting. I did not realize um, the community that BMX is and how there's a, a vast need, specifically because most you either go to Sacramento or you go to the Bay Area, and so there really isn't a lot um, for for them to travel. And so that site is 35 acres, and so we were kind of talking with a guy who plans on 
developing it and planning it. The Argyle site off of 12 outside of the city and the county, that's, that's like 15 acres, and that's a huge park. And so the, to see that the city of Vacaville has 35 acres dedicated for that, and depending on what it's going to look like, that, that's going to be a tremendous draw and grab. And so I just wanted to point that out. Um, fantastic meeting, people of all ages. Um, really, really good job um, on that one. So that's all I have. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Wilkerson. Uh, Commissioner Fortney. Nope, I'm good. Vargas. Great, great job tonight. Thank you very much. That's all I have. Thank you. And Commissioner Bent. Yeah, thank you for thank you for all the presentations tonight and answering all my questions. Um, I just wanted to say that I was able to participate in the Vacaville point in time count on January 31st, and I want to say thank you to the housing department and the city of Vacaville police department for coming out and supporting that. Um, our unhoused numbers are rising, and I think that just really reinforces the need for shelter, not just when the temperatures are extreme, but um, it kind of leads to all my questions about affordable housing and different types of housing, such as permanent supportive housing and, and shelters and such. Um, you know, in the last month, we've had at least three deaths of unhoused in this community. And we definitely have a need for housing. It's, a, it's not just a housing issue, it's a health issue as well. Um, I also wanted to share that I will be going to speak at the Housing California Conference in Long Beach in the first week of March. And so that's pretty exciting, um, as well as attending the National Alliance to End Homelessness Conference in San Francisco the first week of March as well. So I'm excited to attend both of those conferences and learn about different ways that housing and homelessness are being addressed in other communities. Um, address that here. Thank you, Commissioner Bonta. So I'll close Commissioner comments and leave us to item 10, adjournment. So thank you everybody for attending tonight and we'll see you at the next meeting. It's Tuesday, March 19th. And I will say good night, Vacaville. Good job. I like good job, bro.